So, I've really enjoyed our impromptu series on me hammering you about following the Lord boldly, fearlessly, radically in the new year. I've been challenging you to give yourself away in a brand new way, uh, to, to, to seek the Lord and follow Him, to give 2017 to Him. And I've loved it. It's meant a lot to me. I've heard from some of you. Uh, the Holy Spirit has obviously been involved in that sermon series and He has used it. Uh, I know in my own life and I know in some of your life. So I'm going to begin with the same C.S. Lewis quote that I have started with for the la- five of the last six weeks. We'll be looking at it with a little bit different emphasis tonight, but it's still applicable. So I'm going to begin there again Once a man follows God, how could he not live forever? Once a man refuses to follow God, what can he do but wither and die? I also want to share with you the Oswald Chamber quote that I have used the last two weeks. He's a uh, 20th century uh, Englishman, a a well-known minister. He writes, God brings us to the place where He asks us to believe and obey Him, but too often we begin to debate with Him. That moment becomes a great crossroads in our lives and we have to decide for or against God. Now, again, that quote applies to tonight's message. A little bit different emphasis tonight, but it does apply. Um, Let me just ask you, when it gets really... Some of you are so young, you've never experienced it, right? Right? But when it gets really, really, really hard, will you trust God? Will you follow God? And will you, as Oswald Chambers says, will you decide for God when the storm comes? When the storm comes. And if you live any number of years in this life, the storm will come. The storm will come. So what will you do in the storm if the storm comes in 2017? You know, we've been saying, God says, here I am. This is the amazing thing that a holy God says to a sinful race. He says, here I am. You decide how much of me you want. You decide if you're going to love me. You decide if you're going to follow me. You decide if you're going to trust me. You decide. I love this about Christianity. God says, here I am. Here I am. You decide if you want me. I want to begin with a story tonight. Well, at least the beginning of the story. I'll tell you the end of the story as we close the message It was July 1967, a beautiful 17-year-old woman dove into the murky waters of Chesapeake Bay. When she woke up, she was in the hospital laying face down in a canvas frame. Her fifth cervical vertebra was fractured. She would be a quadriplegic for the rest of her life. She writes, I laid there hour after hour staring at the floor. All I could think of was, way to go God, I'm a brand new Christian. I prayed for a closer walk with you. If this is your idea of an answer to prayer, I'm never going to trust you again. I can't believe I have to lay face down in this stupid torture rack. I hate my existence. 
she continues, My thoughts got darker and darker. No longer was my bitterness a tiny trickle. It became a raging torrent. I was done. I was broken. I can't do this. I can't live like this. I would rather die than face this. Oh God, I don't have the strength to face this. I would rather die. Help me. So we'll come back to her in just a moment. So I'll ask you to open your Bibles and or your electronic device to the book of Job. It's right in the middle. It's right in the middle of the Bible next to the Psalms. I haven't preached Job in three years. This is always ministerial malpractice. This is probably a sermon I should preach at least once a year because we need to remember what's going on with Job. We always need to remember what's going on. We, 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 we need to remember the lessons, the fundamental, foundational lessons of the book of Job that God is giving to us. So, Job chapter 1, we'll do the whole book in one sermon. You'll be pleased and proud of Pastor Jim, no doubt. Uh, but we'll begin here in chapter 1. There was a man... Uh, named Job, and he was blameless. Verse 1, he was blameless and upright, fearing God and, and turning away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He had tons of cattle and tons of camels and tons of donkeys and very many servants. He was the greatest man of the East. Verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them. Yes, this is curious, but God has allowed it. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan said, Well, from roaming around on the earth, walking around upon it. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Verse 9, And Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Verse 10, have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13. Now it happened on the, on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house that a messenger came to Job. The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding. Verse 14, verse 15. And the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword. Verse 16, While he was still speaking, another messenger came, and he said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants who were consumed with them. Verse 17, While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The, the, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the, the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped. To tell you, verse 18, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine 
in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So Job's world ends. Utter despair, perfect anguish. It made me think of, anytime I look at Job, I always think of Luke 22. You may remember Luke 22.31. Jesus turns to Peter, and out of the blue He says, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. You remember? Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. You look up the Greek word there, translated sift, and it basically is saying, Satan wants to, to test your faith to the point of overthrow. Now, this is what Satan is interested in in the believer's life. He's going to test your faith to the point of overthrowing it if possible. This is always his goal. This is what Satan has asked to do in Job's life. And a sovereign God has given him leave to a point to test the faith of Job. The question is, what will Job do? The more important question for you and me tonight is what will you do? What will you do when the test comes? The test will come. The test always comes. God speaks about it frequently in the New Testament. The test will come. In fact, Peter says it's necessary that your faith come out as pure gold. That your, your salvation will be assured. Right? The test will come, beloved. I, I, I lovingly warn you, the test is coming. If you're not in the midst of one, uh, a, a test will come. And some of you are so young, you have been blessed, you've not yet faced that test. I've often heard the, heard the book of Job described as a lesson on why Christians suffer. That's not even close. The lesson of Job is why do Men and women who profess to love God continue to love God when they lose everything else. This is what the book of Job is saying. This is how true believers love God. Right? This is what the book of Job is about. Why do believing men and women continue to love God when everything else is stripped away? That's really what we're seeing. And you know, Satan hates... Men and women who love God like that, right? Not very many. Satan hates men and women who love God like that. And beloved, he's asking to sift you tonight. If, if you're a believer, he's asking for you. He is asking for you. It's just part of the truth of the book. So let me ask you, why do you serve God? Is it because of health, wealth, and prosperity? Is it because of this false gospel that's preached in much of the world these days? Do you see God as your hey boy? Is God your servant? Is God your Santa Claus? Is God your genie in a bottle? Is that what God is to you? Let me ask you. Do, do you love Him more than you love the blessings? Let me just ask you to be honest with yourself. If it all went away, if all the blessing went away, would you love Him? 
This is the accusation Satan is making against you and he's making against me right now. Jim only loves you because it's good for him. Business is good. He's got food on the table. His health is pretty good. He's an old man. He doesn't look so good anymore, but his health is pretty good. So, this is Satan's accusation against every believer. I've been in ministry a long time, 33 years. Um, we, you always encounter people who have this utilitarian view of God. I just want to use God. I'll keep God in my life as long as He's useful, as long as He's serviceable, as long as He's helpful and accommodating in the way I think He should be. And I've seen so many walk away. When the trial comes, they are completely blown over and blown away. They are just blown over and they're gone. It was all about what I could get from God. It was all about the blessing. I'll tip my hat to God if He'll give me some stuff. Beloved, if that's where you are, and I pray none of you in here are in that place, but if you're in that place, God will put it to the test. Trust me. He will. So Satan's allegation against Job. Man, you're just God, you're just good for business. You know, it's like the Gospels preached in much of the world. He's good for business. Follow Christ. You'll have a better marriage. You'll have a better business. Your investments will go better. Your health will be better. Your kids will be perfect. You know, it's all this, yeah, stupidity. So how is it with you? Do you love the blessings of God more than you love God? You remember 1 Peter 5.8. Peter's talking to believers. He says, your adversary, uniquely, he's uniquely the adversary of the Christian. You know, the rest of them are his. He wants you. If you're a Christian tonight, he wants you. He wants you. 1 Peter 5.8 Your adversary, the devil, prowls about roaring, uh, like a roaring lion seeking someone, a Christian, to devour. He hates it that people love God unconditionally. He hates it. He hates it. And God will allow him, a sovereign God will allow him at God's perfect and appointed time to test the faith of His children. Satan desires to show God and to everyone else in your orbit that it's only about the blessings. It's only about... It's only because it's good for business. That's the only reason you pretend to be a Christian. You just want the blessing. You just want God working for you. This is Satan's accusation. I love what John MacArthur says here, the famous preacher in the States. He says, Satan accuses men to God, like he's doing uh, about Job, and he accuses God to men. How does, how does uh, Satan accuse God to men? What is, how does he do that? Well, when it does get hard, Satan's whispering in your ear, he doesn't really care. He doesn't care about you. He can't do anything about it. He's pathetic. He's weak. He's impotent. He doesn't love you. He said He loved you. Why has this happened? God said He loved you. He must not love you. Has He ever whispered in your ear? I don't know. I've heard this before. I've heard this before. 
Let's go back to the text. Chapter 1, verse 20. What does Job do? You tell me. Maybe I don't even need to read it. You already know. What does Job do? You tell me. What does he do? He worships God. He arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and he worshipped. Naked I came from my mother's womb. I'm in verse 21 of chapter 1. And naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. We see the proof of genuine faith. It can hardly get any worse. And Job is on his face worshiping God. I want to ask you, is that who you are? Is that who you are? Is that who you are? Would you worship God on that day? Could you worship God on that day if everything is stripped away? Would you still love Him? Or is it just about the blessing? Is your love only conditional as long as God's performing adequately? Job worships, but the sifting continues. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Let me just summarize quickly. Another day, <clears throat> the sons of God, these are angels, were coming before the Lord, and Satan was with them. And the Lord said to Satan, verse 2, Where have you come from? Verse 3, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Verse 3, again, towards the bottom there. God says He holds fast to His integrity, although you incited Me against Him. Verse 4, And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has He will give for his life. However, put, your hand now, uh, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Spare his life. Verse 7, Satan went out. He smote Job with sore boils from the, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So his whole body is a boil. If, you ever, if you've ever had a boil, you know how painful that is. Verse 8, he took a potsherd and he scraped himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Verse 9, his wife said, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Verse 10, uh, he said, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not, uh, not, accept, ad uh, and not accept adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not adversity? I want to point something out to you. I'm just going to point it out to you and then I'm going to move on. This adversity is from God, Job says. Chapter 2, verse 10. But he does not blame God. Chapter 1, verse 22. This is, the, this is beautiful, pristine, biblical theology. This adversity is from God. 2.10. But he does not blame God. 1.22. Job doesn't look at secondary causes 
It's one of the lessons of the book of Job. He never looks at Satan. He never talks about Satan. He doesn't get preoccupied with Satan. Satan is never mentioned again. Job is looking right at God. He's looking right at a sovereign God. As all of these events come into his life, he holds fast to God. He doesn't understand what's going on. And if you lived any number of years as a Christian, you'll realize sometimes you will not understand what's going on. You won't understand it at all. Right? You, you'll be clueless. This happens. This is what's happened to Job. He doesn't really understand what's going on. And I want to ask you, is it okay with you if you don't understand? Is it okay uh, that God doesn't uh, confide in you and all that He's doing in your life? Is it okay that, that you don't get it? Job doesn't get it. And if you're walking with Jesus Christ, there'll be times when you don't get it. Is it okay with you? Do you love Him that much? Do you trust Him that much? Job had a simplistic theology. It was the theology of the day. You know, it's the, the big sin, big suffering, right? I shouldn't be suffering. I'm a, I'm a righteous man. The, the only people that suffer like this are big sinners. So if you're a big sinner, you're going to suffer big, right? Now, if you have big righteousness, there's going to be big prosperity. It was a very, um, yeah, very simplistic, wooden kind of theology. It was prominent in that day. Job and his friends uh, that will come and speak to him, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar, they all believe this. God always temporally blesses the righteous and He always temporally afflicts the wicked. Well, you don't have to look around, but just a day or two and you realize how false this is. It's just false. It's just false as a universal principle. It's just False. This is another thing God is doing in Job's life. You know, Job's got God in a little box and God's going to blow it up. Some of you, I hazard a guess, still have God in some kind of little box. God doesn't like to be in a box. He will not tolerate being in a box. And if you've got God in a box, He will blow up your box. Trust me. He will do it in love it's one of the best things He can do for you is to blow up that little box you have Him in. Because when He blows up that little box, you'll see Him for who He is and you'll love Him all the more. So God will not stay in this little teeny theological box that Job and his friends have Him in. You know, that, that one-dimensional kind of you-centered, me-centered box that many of us like to get into. Let me talk just a moment. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to read you somewhat of a lengthy quote from John Piper, American preacher, about the state of modern evangelical churches and our superficial view of God as it, as it relates to suffering and evil. Listen to what he says. This is, a, this is a beautiful quote. The vision of God in relation to evil and suffering in most churches these days is frivolous. The church has not been spending its energy to go deep with the unfathomable God of the Bible. Against the overwhelming weight and seriousness of the Bible, much of the modern church is choosing to become more light, more shallow, more entertainment-oriented. Therefore, it has become successful in its irrelevance 
to massive suffering and evil in the world. The popular God of the fun church is simply too small and too affable to hold a hurricane in His hand. The Bible explodes such trivial notions of the Almighty. I love that paragraph. Some of you have a cartoon God in your head. It's just how you were raised. Some of you have never gone deep into the Scripture. You don't know what God says about Himself in Job because you've never opened it. You've never read it. You've never prayed through it. Our God holds a hurricane in His hand, beloved. Every hurricane. He holds it in His hand. He's a sovereign God. There's not one rogue molecule in the whole cosmos. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand who Jehovah is. You've got some caricature of Jehovah. I love the book of Job. I love it. It makes me get on my face. It makes me worship. This is an awesome God. This is an awesome God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Shall we accept good from God and not accept adversity? As one theologian says, one thing you learn about, you learn from the book of Job, Satan is a dog on a leash. He's real, but he's on a leash. He's on God's leash. So what Satan means for evil, someone tell me, should I have to finish this? What Satan means for evil, what? Anybody? You know. God means for good. Right? What Satan means for evil, God means for good. Satan's going to test Job's faith. God's going to bring him through. Like fine gold. God is going to bring Job, his child, through. So what is the best gift of God? Health, wealth, and prosperity today? Is that it? Success today? Power today? Accomplishment today? Renown today? Acknowledgement today? What's the best gift from God today? What is it? Someone tell me. What's the best thing God can give you now? It's Himself. It's what He's going to give to Job. It's what He's giving to Job. Sometimes God does it through great blessing. Sometimes He does it through great trial. This is the prerogative of God. This is God's business. It's not yours and it's not mine. This is God's business. So, Job's friends show up. I mentioned them to you earlier. And they spend 29 chapters talking about it. Basically, they accuse Him of some great sin or this would have never happened, right? So they actually exacerbate his suffering, right? They come along and they get, they get meaner and meaner and meaner. There are three cycles here of discussions and they just get harsher and harsher all the time with Job. And Job arrives at that place that our 17-year-old quadriplegic did. He, he desires death. 
And while Job never renounces God or discards his faith and his trust in God, he begins to question God. Let me just read a couple of verses for you. Job 10, 1 and 2, I will give full vent to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul and I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you have contended with me. Job 13, 3, I would speak to the Almighty and I desire to argue with God. Job 23, 3 and 4, Oh, that I knew where I might find Him, that I might come to His seat. I would present my case before Him and fill my mouth with arguments. Job 31, 35, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, guess what? You already know. Who answers? God. God answers. Be careful when you say something like that. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'm going to read a, a couple of a little bit from of God's answer. Can't read the whole thing. Uh, selected verses from chapters 38, 39, and 40, and I'm only, just to give you the essence of of um, of God's answer. But I want you to notice how God answers. I want you to notice what God does and what God does not do. So I'm going to be in. Chapter 38, you can try to follow me if you want. Verses 1 through 4. You guys know this famous text. God shows up. Job wants an answer. God shows up. What does God do? Does He come with an answer? Someone tell me. How many answers does God give to Job? He doesn't give Job any answers. He gives him 70 questions. Who are you to question me, little man? Right? Job... Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Who are you to question me, the almighty, infinite God? This is what's happening. Listen, I love Job. It makes me really humble. (laughs) It makes me really, really... He says, gird up your loins, chapter 38, verse 3, and, and answer me like a man. I'll ask you, you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the, of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding, Job. 38.12 Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, Job? Verse 16 Have you entered into the springs of the sea or have you walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this, Job. Verse 31 Can you bind the Pleiades, uh, the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in a season? Verse 34, can you lift up your voice to the clouds uh, so as the abundance of water may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings uh, that uh, they may go? Verse 36, who has put wisdom in the innermost being or who has given understanding to the mind, Job? Chapter 39, verse 19, do you give the horse's might? Do you clothe his neck with the mane? Do you make him leap like, a, like the locust? His majestic snorting. Is terrible. Verse 26, same chapter. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars? Man, I've been reading some stuff about how macro-Darwinists believe how uh, reptiles begin to fly. It's the stupidest thing I've ever read. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll shut up. Um, okay, did you do this? Did you, do, did you teach the hawk how to, how to fly? Is this the, your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? Chapter 40, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with me, the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. 
<laughs> How many answers does Job get? Let me ask you, are you questioning God? This is never a good policy. Job gets no answers. He gets no answers. God does not give an account of Himself. Actually, uh, Elihu who comes late into the, the picture, he, he actually says this in Job 33.13, He does not give an account of Himself to men. God does not do it. You know, I always get asked the question. I'm a, I'm a pastor, right? So I always get the question. You know, I, I, get, I get the, the ten uh, most frequently asked questions. Why this? Why this? Why this? Why this? Why this? And not what I always say. Some of you might can, can quote me here. What do I always say? <laughs> the Bible is not God's explanation. He's not trying to explain Himself to you. He's not trying to explain Himself to anybody. God's just revealing Himself. Right? as an awesome Creator and Redeemer. This is what God does. You can ask all the questions you want when you get there. I don't know if He'll answer them or not. You're probably too busy worshiping. But He might. He might answer some of those questions. God comes to Job. It's beautiful. You know, it reminds me of that great text, Romans 9.20. You know, we were studying with the young adults and you know, you have this mystery, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and salvation and people get all red-faced and, and messed up about it. And, and I just love what, the way Paul re, what talks about this. He says, who are you to question God about this? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Does not the powder have the right over the clay? Listen, beloved, we need some humility before God in the modern church. There seems to be a dearth of the proper kind of fear and trembling before the Lord. God asked Job 70 questions. He doesn't get any of them. He scores a perfect F. Beloved, if you're calling God to account in your life, if you're demanding an explanation, of what God is doing in your life. Um, yeah, just let me know how that works out for you, okay? Get back to me on that, if you would. I remember saying this. I don't remember what sermon it was in, in now, but I remember saying this, and I love it. It's just something the Lord <coughs> crystallized in my heart. I would rather have one revelation of, from God than 10,000 explanations. I just want a fresh revelation from God. I don't care about explanations. I don't. You say, Jim, you're just a simple man. I, okay, but I don't care. I don't need one. I just need more of God. I just need more of God. Remember Job's words, I desire to argue with God. I'm going to give full vent to my complaint. Oh, I wish I knew where he was. I'd present my case. <laughs> this is what Job does when God shows up. Chapter 40, verse 3, verse 4. Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth once I've spoken, and I will not answer even twice, and I will add no more. You know what Job does? He decides to let God be God. 
this is a good thing for you to do. You let God be God and you be you. Right? I know we get confused sometimes. I think, I think it's about me. I think I'm running the universe. I think God should, should toe the line. He, he needs to do what I think is best. Right? But Job comes to that place. He gets a glimpse of God, a new glimpse of God, and he says, <laughs> he says, <laughs> yeah, he says, I'm, I'm going to put my hand on my mouth. I'm going to put my hand on my mouth. So he shuts up. He knows in the face of God, he shuts his mouth, which is a good thing sometimes. Just shut up! Right? And worship. Let me ask you, have you gotten to that place with God? Is that real for you? Where you can just... You don't need any more explanations. He's not going to give them to you anyway. You don't need them. Lord, give me a fresh revelation. A fresh, you know, vision of you that, that God has given to Job. There's some more questions. And then here's, here's Job's uh, confession at the end of the book. Chapter 42, verse 2. Job says, I know you can do all things. He's talking to God and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. And I'm skipping down to verse 5. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract. And I repent in dust and ashes. I love what he says here. He says, things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me that I did not know. He's come out. He's come out more in love with God. This is what happens to the true believer in the trial. You will come out more in love with God. More, you will have more faith in God. You will have a larger testimony. You know, I, I, one of my, my, my mentors used to say, well, I've got this problem, Jim. I, I got this problem. His name is Jim, too. You know? And he say, hey, God's giving you a story. When He brings you out, you've got a new story about God that you can tell your friends and your family and your colleagues. God's giving you a brand new story about how faithful and sufficient he is. I love it, man. It's a new story. When, when it comes, I know it's hard. I know we cry. I know we grieve. I know it's hard sometimes. But we get a new revelation from God. And if our faith is real, we come out. We come out on the other side. Eugene Peterson paraphrases verses 5 and 6 there in, in chapter 42. I like the paraphrase. He says, I once lived by rumors of you. Some of you, okay, some of you are probably living by rumors of God. Well, I've heard this rumor about God. I've heard it. But you're not really pursuing Him. You're not really seeking Him. You're not really blocking off time to pursue Him and know Him. He says, I've lived by rumors of you. Now I know you firsthand with my eyes and my ears. Forgive me. I never... I'll never do that again. I'll never again live on crusts of heresy, pardon me, hearsay and crumbs of rumors. This is why I preach the Bible. This is why we have women's Bible study and young adult Bible study. Because you need to look at God. This is how 
big and hard life can be, you don't need to be looking at your preacher. You don't need to be looking at the psychologist. You don't need to be listening to Oprah. You need to be looking at God because when it comes, you need to be looking at Him. He's the only one that will bring you through intact. You need to be looking at Him. I had a professor uh, seminary. He went through a debilitating depression. He, he couldn't get out of bed for a time. I used to love to listen to him talk about it. He, he, would, he would talk about this, this trial, this storm. He called it, let me see, he called it a benevolent trial. You know what he means by that? God came to him. <laughs> His life changed through the midst of this trial. We used to talk about this quite a bit in Young Adult Bible Study about a year or so ago. Um, I got it from C.S. Lewis. God loves you so much, He will not be distracted with your health, wealth, and prosperity. He's not going to be distracted with that. It's nothing to Him as compared to Him giving Himself to you. Whatever it takes... This is how Karen and I pray for our loved ones. Whatever it takes, Lord. Whatever it takes. That they might come to know You. That's what matters. That's what matters at the end of the day. C.S. Lewis says, God will take endless trouble with His children and doubtless give endless trouble if necessary. You remember back in Luke 22, the, the Satan sifting Peter. You remember what Jesus said? Does anybody remember what Jesus said to him? I love this. This is beautiful. You remember what Jesus says to Peter? I have prayed for you. This is why true believers come through. Jesus said, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you return, he says, it's not if. He says, when. When you come through, strengthen your brother. So let's, let's finish up. We'll go back to that young woman who dove into the Chesapeake Bay and broke her neck. Fast forward 40 years. I didn't leave my desperation back in the hospital 40 years ago. Desperation is a part of my everyday life. Each morning, a girlfriend comes to help her get ready for the day. She writes, there are so many mornings I hear my girlfriend coming in the front door and I think, I can't do this, God. I'm so tired I don't think I can make it to lunch. Oh God, I cannot do quadriplegia today. I have no resource for this. I have no strength for this. And I want to say to you, even as I studied this, I'll say it to myself. I'll leave you out this time. I feel sorry for myself. I got so convicted. I am so blessed in countless ways. And all I can worry about are the three things that aren't perfect. And I bet every one of you are the same. Learn to be thankful. We talked about it at Young Adult Bible Study. Learn to be thankful. Your whole life will change if you will learn to be thankful. So here's a quadriplegic. She didn't think she can get out of bed. She tells God, I can't do this. God says, I know. I'll do it through you. 
She tells God, she says, I don't have a smile for my friend. God says, you can use mine. She says, I, I greet my, my girlfriend with a happy hello borrowed from Jehovah. Anybody know who I'm talking about? She's well known in the States. This woman. Nobody knows? Interesting. Joni Erickson Tata. You ever heard of her? Joni Erickson Tata. Tata. Um, she's now 67. She was on her face at 17, wanted to die, didn't want to live. She has to pray down the strength of God every day just to get out of bed. She's written over 40 books. One was an international bestseller. She's a radio host. She's an international conference speaker. She has an international ministry to the disabled. She starred in an autobiographical uh, movie of herself. She has recorded several musical albums. Some years ago, she was nominated for an Oscar. She says, God used her suffering to sandblast her to the core that she might be better bonded to Jesus. I love that. And she said, I'd rather be in this wheelchair knowing God than on my feet without God. And I've heard her talk about where, how she finally found peace in this lifelong storm. It was when she realized that this was not some dumb bad luck accident that God was behind it all doing something well beyond what she could understand. She starts talking about uh, Ephesians 1.11. The God who works all things after the counsel of His will. And uh, Romans 8.28 who calls it all things to, to work together for good to those who love Him, those called according to His purpose. She said, this is what got me through. A sovereign God who's doing something in me. This is what got me through. Trusting that. And holding on to that. This means something. Quadriplegia is not just a waste of my time. It means something. I shared that with you a couple of weeks ago about the, the woman who uh, survived a, a saline abortion. And she's, she's got uh, maladies and a limp because of this, this attempt to abort her as a baby uh, in, in, the, in her mother's womb. And she'd say, she said that beautiful thing. You may remember. She says, my weakness is my sermon. Joni Ericatata is, her quadriplegia is her sermon. So, beloved, uh, no more trivial notions about God, I pray. When the storm comes to you, and it will come, don't waste it. Make much of God in it. Trust God. Follow God. Decide for God. When the storm comes, I want you to, to remember and believe this. I say it to you a lot. Jesus is better than anything this life can give and Jesus is better than anything death can take. Sometimes God will let His children totter to see if they will fall on Him. When the storm comes, beloved, I challenge you to fall on God it's what Christians do. And God will show Himself to you in a brand new way. I'm not only giving testimony from the Word, I'm giving testimony from my life. And countless others that I know. This is who God is. This is what He does. There's that beautiful verse there, Job 7.20. And I'm done. Job's complaining. He says, Oh God, why have You set me up as Your target? Right? Right? Of course, he means it in a negative sense. But 
as we get to the end of the book, we, we realize that what? <laughs> Job is a target of God's love and disclosure. That's what kind of target Job is. Listen, if you have troubles with the book of Job, I think, I think Tuesday night, young adults, let's just talk about it some more, okay? We'll just build the discussion around the book of Job. If you have any questions, we'll be talking about it. Anyone else, you can send me an email. I had a brother one time who just, he couldn't handle it, man. He left. He just walked out. He said, I can't handle Job. That was what got him. He says, I'm out of here. I can't, I, I don't like it. I don't want to hear it. So I hope none of you are in that place. I hope you're willing to hear the Word of God and be changed by it. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this great text. We thank You for preserving it for us. We thank You for all the astonishing lessons that we learn in it. Help us, Father, to process these deep and weighty things. I pray we'll all be ready when the storm comes. I pray we'll be ready to make much of Jesus. For that's what the storm is about. Thank You, Father, for Your faithfulness and Your goodness. Thank You for loving us like this. Thank You for not being distracted with our health, wealth, and prosperity. Thank You for loving us to an infinitely greater degree. We praise You, Lord Jesus. It's in Your name that we pray. Amen.